day and welcome to the Aussie Pastor Live right here on Faith FM. G'day, my name's Lloyd Grolleman of Aussie Pastor. Welcome to our program today. We're glad to have you here on a wintry, and it is here in Sydney. It's a wintry, cold, odd, old day out there. Welcome, Hunty. G'day, mate. He's our producer, director, and our co-host on this program. Glad to have you here. Always good to be here. And I want to welcome you, our listeners. Yes. And it is cold, isn't it? It's freezing. It is freezing, man. They reckon this is going to be the coldest winter we've had in quite some time and they're saying that we're about to hit get hit here in Sydney by a polar cold snap which is the coldest we have had since 2015. Wow. There's going to be snow on the mountains. Going to be snow out toward Bathurst. I've heard anything above 900 metres is going to get snow tomorrow. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. We better pack the car up, <laughs> get the snowboards in. That's it. And get up there except we don't snowboard. No. And Hunty doesn't ski. You know how I know that? Now, hang on a minute. <laughs> careful, or else I'll tell a story. Well, I do ski. Right, careful, careful. You water ski yeah. or you snow ski? Both. But you, you see, you're only judging me because you've seen me ski with two cameras on me. Okay, that's it. Pocket. I'll tell oh, a story. Here goes. I'll tell a story. <laughs> it's on. We went, we went up to, we went up to Perisher yep. to do some shooting. Yep. And so we, we had to get on our snow skis and Hunty had a, how much was the camera worth? 15,000. Yeah, we had a couple of, had a couple of cameras on me. <laughs> had a couple of cameras. And all the audio gear. And up, <laughs> up we went and I'm watching Hunty as he comes off the chairlift. And I was and the moment he launched off that chairlift on the beginner's slope, I knew we were in <laughs> big, big trouble. Look, on a scale of one to ten, what would you rate my snow skiing skills? Uh, would you give me a one? Okay. No, no, I'd give you more than that. I, I'd give you, uh, uh, honestly, I'd give you a four. Hey, I'd take that <laughs> but, happily. But, but there's a way around it tomorrow. If we pack the car up and head up to the mountains, what we can do, I'll take a toboggan up for you, hunty. <laughs> you can play on the toboggan. I love it. <laughs> uh, we're just stirring up. We, we, we love to stir each we other do. if you haven't picked that up. We have a good time. You go with your strength. We're best mates. But <laughs> welcome to the program, Hunty. Yes, mate. I, I'm so glad uh, to have you here. And um, we're so glad our, our listeners are here. Yeah, we are. Um, Hunty, got some, before we go any further, who have we got on today? We've got some great guests today. We've got um, Pastor Harker again, Harold Harker. He's our history buff. Yep. Uh, we got a mate we, of mine, Gavin Chatillier. And he's a great singer, isn't he? Yep. And a mate of yours. He, yeah, he is. He, he actually is. And he sounds like, who do you reckon he sounds like? Elvis Presley. Yeah, I reckon he sounds like Elvis yep. Presley. And, and then the, we've got Dan Sinzio. Yeah, your mate. Yeah, a guy from Queensland who's done something just absolutely spectacular and put together some good music in between. And I reckon a hot, hot, a sizzling hot Bible study in a cold, wintry day. That's it. It's going to be a good show. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Hey, Hunty. Yeah, mate. You've lived in America. I have. You loved it over there. I do. Uh, in fact, you're telling me you've lived in two or three different places over there. Yep, both coasts in the centre. So California, New York. I'm at Washington DC, Maryland, and um, Texas. Okay, which did you like the most? Well, <clears throat> I enjoyed um, Maryland in DC because I enjoyed the challenge of getting to work in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, t- tell me this: While you were there, did you ever get to a bas- NBA basketball game? Nope. A uh, baseball game? Yes. What about footy and an American football game? Can you remember what you play? What, what you watched? Who played? <laughs> nope. <laughs> 
but sigh, I had to experience it. Sigh, sigh, sigh. Well, I, I lived in America too. I actually got to a basketball game, the Warriors versus the LA Lakers, yep. and I got to a baseball game. It was the Oakland A's, and I, for, for the life of me, I can't remember who they played, but they won in the ninth innings with a three-run homer. So I've never <laughs> been to baseball before, and that was very exciting, but I never got to a football game. But I do like... The San Francisco 49ers. Cause see, I studied in a college just outside of San Francisco. So I kind of gravitated to the 49ers when I was over there. A few years ago, they had a quarterback called Colin Kaepernick. Ever heard of him? Yep. He's famous. He is pretty famous. Well, on August 26, 2016, he decided in the American National Anthem, they always have the anthem before every game they play. Yep. Did you notice that? I do. They're very patriotic people. They stand up, they put their, is it their left hand over their heart, I think, or is it their right? I, I can't remember. Right, I think. But they, they right, is it? Oh, okay, you're not going to... My best guess. You're not going to stake your life on that. No. <laughs> and and they, they are very patriotic to the flag. And Colin Kaepernick, who is a black African-American quarterback... A good one too. Yep. He says, well, I'm not, and, and these are his words, I'm not going to stand up to show in, to show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of colour. Wow. You can imagine how the Americans would react to so that. That's how it started. But watch this. He discussed his motivation with Nate Boyer. He's a military, a famous actually, military veteran and former National Football League player over there who advised him, look, mate, don't sit down in the National Anthem. It looks too disrespectful. When they play the American National Anthem, Nat Boyer said, kneel. And so he knelt right. when the National Anthem was being played. And he knelt as a show of protest, primarily, I think, against the police. Now, you've lived there f- for longer than I have in three different cities. Mm. How do you find American police? Well, I think American people, for one, love police and jails and justice and law. They seem to be more fixated about that than Australia. Yeah. So, you know, the, the police will throw you in jail for jaywalking. Yeah. What's up with that? It's a fine here. You would so have been I in think, jail many times. Oh, yeah, I <laughs> so, so I think that their police are a little bit more aggressive because that's their culture. But I give them a lot of respect. If they pull me over while I'm driving over there, which, yeah. which happens, I'm straight away, window down on both hands out the car on really? the side of the car instantly. I want them to see my hands are out of the car without a gun and I'm going to do whatever they ask. So has Colin Kaepernick got a point? Yes, sadly. Really sad. You want they, to expand on that a little bit? Yeah. It, I mean, they, they make jokes in America about driving while black and babysitting while black and shopping while black. And they're basically saying that the rules that we have to abide by are different to the rules the whites have to abide by. So there is some racial tensions in America. You you pull a white guy over, the cops will get out and say, hey, how are you going? Have a nice day. They pull a black guy over and it's spread it and bend over the car and it's, you know, alcohol test and sobriety test and license and registration. They they just go straight from 0 to 100 with browns and darks. So when, when you're when you're looking at that from afar and you're looking at these protests, how do you respond to them? Having just, lived there, I, I feel so sorry because the, the country's in a mess because of their past. They're not getting over it fast, and they're not out of it now. And it's going to take generations to get out of it. And and I don't see how they're going to get out of it. So I just feel so sorry for the for the black people in America who have to live, uh, you know, under the fear of being treated differently and more harshly. And you would have worked with a lot of fine black American yes. people over there. Yes, awesome people. 
Yeah, yeah. It, it is a worry, isn't it? It's a worry. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes I think in Australia, which has its own racial tensions, you know. Yep. Uh, my wife is, um, some of you will know my wife is Indonesian. And from time to time, it doesn't happen a lot, to be fair, Hunty, but from time to time she'll come uh, home and she'll tell me about, like the other day, um, she was in Woolworths and she got a very, had a very nasty incident with a lady there who was actually working on the checkout counter. Yep. Um, so, so the, the racism is, is, it seems to be everywhere in the world and people, you know, it is true, isn't it, that here in Australia, we don't really, your average Aussie doesn't experience racism like, say, a black African American in it's, the United States. It's, it's less here for sure. So it is hard for us to understand. I mean, don't ask that question of an Aboriginal or Indigenous person. No. Because they experience pretty horrendous racism here in Australia. But it is pretty hard then for us Aussies to understand. I don't think. And sympathise and empathise. whites really have a clue of what it feels like. I mean, you imagine going to a job and being the smartest, the best candidate and not getting it because you're not white. Yeah. I mean, how many times do you get kicked in the teeth in life before you before you begin to hate what's going on? I think the important thing is that we remember as followers and believers of Jesus Christ that we are all brothers and sisters Amen. and we celebrate our different colours and our, our different looks yep. r- r- rather than use them as points of division. Yep. Um, global warming. Mm. Are you a believer? I guess I have to be, but I... I do have my doubts in places. <laughs> I knew you'd say that. <laughs> how, do, how do you answer the fact that in the last 20 years, the literally every single glacier on the planet has suffered serious melt? Yeah, you know, that's that evidence you can't dispute. But that there is another theory that the Earth goes in cycles. Yeah. Long cycles. And we're coming up for a warm cycle now. That warm cycles come on rather quickly, right? How, how would you? How would would anyone um, describe the fact that the Northwest Passage, that famous passage up north of uh, of well, south of the Arctic Circle, how 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 would you describe the fact that that's now open most summers? It's never been open. Yeah. It seems like there's something happening well, where, where our winters are getting colder. Our summers are getting hotter. Now, you and I have been on the, the end of some of Australia's savage um, weather conditions. I'm talking about drought. We've experienced drought yep. around our yep. studio. Yep. Yep. We've, we've experienced fire and we've experienced floods. It, it does seem something's happening, doesn't it? Let, let me let me throw one curveball at you. So when Noah's flood covered the entire earth in water... Did it cover the polar ice caps in water as well? Yeah, sure. Did they melt then? Uh, I don't think they were there before the flood. So you're saying that those ice caps have come in the last four or 5,000 years? I think after the flood, some pretty significant things happened. Okay. And I think amongst them is the polar ice caps. I say that, and there's pretty good evidence, because when you go down there, they have found evidence in both the North and South Pole of a flourishing uh, land of vegetation wow. and trees. Wow. And so yeah, I think the land, I, I think things change significantly after the flood. I, I, I'm not here to promote or push a global warming agenda, but I, what I would say is this. Yep. I have noticed in the last 20 years that the world, the ecological balances of the world are breaking yes, down. For sure. We can no longer rely on rain for cropping like we used to. We can no longer rely on the seasons to be quite as consistent as yep. they have always been. We're True. getting bigger floods. We're getting worse droughts. The yep. fires. Fire summers. Now, look, man, we've been around you and me a while. Yep. I'm 57. You're 56. Yep. 
And we are bushies, us two. For sure. We've never seen fires like we're encountering. That last fire we had a year or so back out at the studio where I had to go out and defend our farm mm-hmm. while you looked mm-hmm. after the church, we have never seen fires like that in our lives. That's true. And it seems like there is something happening, that the weather, that the world is breaking down. And perhaps man has got something to do that. And I say that on the scripture where Jesus says, when I return, I, um, and, and he's very clear on this, I will come back to destroy those mm. who would yep. destroy, destroy the earth. earth. Yep. And it just goes to happen, you know, it just goes to say, doesn't it, when you see, when you see the racial tensions and the struggles we're having, yep. when you see the world breaking down ecologically, Jesus says, hey, when you see all these things happening, look up to the east. Because you know what? I'm almost here. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Every week I say it, these are new songs. I have never heard this song before. I found it. I kind of liked it and I thought I'll play it. God the Maker by the Porter's Gate. I don't even know, Hunty, who the Porter's Gate is. Okay. But I hope and pray you enjoy this song. We bring a time, we bring a treasure. Lay them down before your throne You will make them something greater Show us that 
I want to welcome Harold Harker back to our show today. Welcome back to the program. It's great to be with you, Lloyd. For those of our listeners who haven't been introduced to Harold Harker, he is our resident historian who takes us through, I believe, some of the most stirring stories in the history of Christianity. We're always glad to have you on board. And today we're looking at David Livingston, a very interesting character. What a great story, Livingston. Yes, it is. Um, one I've known since I was a boy, but I think we'll get straight into it because there's some things I learnt as we were doing the investigation, the research for this. David Livingston was born on the 19th of March, 1813. Uh, Harold, tell us about his childhood. Well, he was born in Blantyre, which is just not far from Glasgow, about 12k away, and he, uh, in his family, there were four surviving children and they lived in a one room. That was their kitchen, their lounge, their bedroom for the parents, Neil and Agnes, and four kids. I've been in that room. How they could have survived, I don't know, but he had a very poor childhood. So he comes from poverty. What happened to David when he was age 10? Well, when he was 10, this um, tenement that he was was near the cotton mill and he had to start work at age 10 in the cotton mill. Now, guess what he did? He had to clamber under all the machines while they're working and when a thread was broken, he had to join them together and then get out again. Uh, That was his job for 14 hours a day at age 10. Was that a dangerous job? It was dangerous, but uh, he just wanted to learn, and that's another story, but working from, it was child labour. Yeah, uh, well, he had a pretty uh, tough upbringing. You say he worked 14 hours a day? Yes, but that wasn't the end of his day. When he finished work, he would have started before the sun got up, he went for two hours learning to read in an education class that was being put for him there, and he learnt to read while he was working from age 10. So the poverty-stricken boy who's working 14 hours a day has a hunger for education too. Well, he did. Let me tell you how much he liked to read when he got his first pay. What would you do? He went and bought a Latin grammar so he could learn Latin. Why did he like to read Latin? What was he after there? Why would he go and buy that as a young boy? Well, as a young boy, Latin was sort of the pinnacle of educated people, knew Latin, and he wanted to have a good education. So he learnt Latin, and later he learnt Greek as well, and he studied all these old classics of Latin and Greek. So he used to like to read the old classics, eh? Oh, yes. Okay. He would read anything, he, but his father said, you can only read those, you can't read junk. <laughs> so his dad actually, was his, his father must have been a Christian. He actually forbade him from reading certain books or, or novels, did he? His father was a strict Calvinist. He was a Congregationalist, and he said, no trashy novels, just read the Bible or read good books. Okay. What did Livingston decide to do after he met Christ? Well, after he met Christ, he wanted to become a doctor. And uh, uh, as he wanted to to do that, he thought he would be a missionary somewhere and uh, a doctor. But his father said, you can't study to be a doctor unless it's for missionary purposes. 
You know, at 23, he started in the Anderson's College at Glasgow. That would be like uni. Yep. And he wrote then, I will place no value on anything I have or possess except in relation to the kingdom of Christ. So Christ was, once he became a Christian, he was 100% for Jesus in everything he did. So he's at uni. He's getting educated. He's still poor, but he was a visionary. He is a visionary. Where did he want to go and why? Well, he heard about China and uh, missionaries had come back and talked about China. And so he said, I want to go to China. And he applied to the London Missionary Society, the LMS. And they sent missionaries out everywhere. And he said, I want to go to China. But he couldn't go to China. There was a big war on at the time, and that was closed to him. And he heard and he met a Robert Moffat, who was a missionary in Africa. He'd been there for some years, and he must have come back to England and Scotland, and he told stories of Africa, of the smoke of a thousand villages where no missionary has been. And this really got uh, Livingston on fire. I want to go now to Africa. So did, did he contact the London Missionary Society again, or did he just go over independently? No, he went over with them to start with there, and uh, he was a doctor. It was 1840, and he goes, now, imagine you're saying you're going to Africa, but the ship goes to Brazil and South America, and three months later, he gets off in Cape Town. What a trip. It would have been. Now, he goes to join Moffat's ministry. Is that true? Yeah, well, Moffat was 900 kilometres north, and he's got to walk. All that way north, he put a few things that he took with him onto an ox cart, so he bought an ox and the cart, and he walked with that ox for 900 kilometres till he found Moffat's uh, mission station. Tell us a little bit about Moffat's ministry and his mission station. What was Livingston walking into? Well, Moffat hadn't got a lot of uh, converts at this stage, but he put a a church together. Uh, There were... 40 converts by then, but half of them had backslidden, and so it was must have been discouraging for Moffat, but Livingston comes there, and, you know, he says, well, I'll do my best. Let me tell you, this really inspired me. When he was there for just three years, he said, I am a missionary at heart and soul. God had only one son, and he was a missionary in position, a poor Poor imitation, I am or wish to be. In his service, I hope to live. In it, I wish to die. It's funny, isn't it, Harold, how sometimes God uses one man to plant and then he uses another man to reap. And you look at Moffat and you'd say, well, he had a very unsuccessful time in Africa. But the reality is he did two things. He planted... And then he inspired a man called David Livingston to come and join him. And Livingston reaped. Let's get on to that just for a moment. What did Livingston do when he reached Africa? Well, he went up to Moffat Station. He learnt about what to do there. He learnt the area. But then he took off within a month on the first of his travels right through Africa. So he was a missionary. He was an explorer. And he was a Christian 
doctor, all those things combined, and as he went, he started a, a series of mission stations where he went and, uh, and started them. So those mission stations would treat people medically and share the gospel. Well, he would he would have treated him with the things that he had, yeah. which weren't. You imagine a doctor in the eighteen forties. Yeah, there weren't many things like we have today. But he helped people, and he helped them get better, and he talked about Jesus. He almost does Jesus way, doesn't he? Where he goes and he helps the people first, and then he shares Christ. Right, and through and through Livingston, African nationals, Indigenous people are finding Christ. That, that's right. Well, Livingston has been a, a story that has inspired people right through the years. As a kid, I read the Jungle Doctor books. Yes. And that came from Livingston started all that over 150 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And more. Yeah. He, he was a pioneer missionary that's inspired many people. There's no doubt about it. But he was a man. He was a man. And he's yes. at Moffat's mission station. And he sees a beautiful young woman there. Tell us about that. Well, Moffat had a daughter called Mary. Mm. And after four years of working there, he must have come back to Moffat's place like a home base mm. for many times. And he saw Mary and finally he marries her. And she becomes his wife and co-partner and a traveller through a lot of Africa. They had a close relationship, good marriage. Yes, he, he said she was the best thing for him. Now, Livingston was a bit of a, a curt guy. He was, he could explode a bit, good yeah. Scottish, uh, whatnot. But <laughs> with, with Mary, you know, they must have had a great, they gave birth to six children. Yeah. But, you know, when you're a missionary in Africa and Mary would have come from England, yeah, and he said, "Well, it's time for you to go back." Yeah, so he puts it, goes to Cape Town, which is that nine hundred k trip, and then puts on a boat for for England, and he's working in Africa and doesn't see her for four years. What sort of a marriage is that? Why would he have done that? Do you think was it for her safety? Was he sensing something, or we don't know? I think that she might have needed to see the uh, back home and touch base with the family. But he's on his own then for four years. Moving away from his marriage relationship, which does seem to be a good solid one. I mean, it, it survived and thrived even though they had a four-year hiatus uh, separated from each other. In Africa at the time, there was a lot of slave trading. How did I've often wondered, how did Livingston, who was a Christian missionary, missionary, how did he relate in his journeys as he's sharing the gospel around Africa, how did he relate to the slave traders and the slave trade? Well, he was opposed to it as a Christian should be, and he would, I guess, do everything he could to prevent the slave traders getting there. And he was a friend of the locals of Africa, the African people themselves. Yeah. yeah and yeah. so he was the the enemy of these slave traders. Yeah. They didn't want Christianity there. It's funny how Christianity has always been the movement that frees people. It frees you spiritually and it, it frees you physically because if you look at the Western world, it was men like Livingston and his influence on the politicians back in London that would have had a, a very significant role in bringing down the slave trade in both Britain and America. So 
his influence went wide and far. Um, he himself goes back to London uh, after his wife. What did he receive when he returned there? Well, when he got back to England, England was looking for heroes. They yeah. just had the Crimean War. They had, and they wanted someone. Who's someone? And here's the story. Uh, Livingston comes back and tells the story of these thousand villages where he's been right through Africa, and he gets a honorary doctorate from Oxford University, 1856. And so he's acknowledged and he's decorated in London as someone that people can look up to for what he's done. The culture would have been a lot different back then when they were recognising and honouring a Christian missionary. I'm not sure that had happened today. He goes back. No, to, it wouldn't. No, he goes back to Africa, and I think he faces what I I believe is probably the biggest tragedy of his life. What happened to his wife? Well, he he goes on these trips and he's taking Mary with him and in 1862 they're going on a boat up the Zambezi River Mm. and on this way Mary gets very sick I guess the boat has to stop and she dies by the Zambezi River and he lost his wife what a tragedy that would be he loses his soulmate and it seems after that Livingston disappeared into the deep heart of Africa they sent someone to find him tell us about that having got the doctrine and being a a great person right in the eyes of everyone in Britain they said we want to know what's happened to him where is he and so they sent a, a journalist by the name of Stanley and Stanley took months tracking him and where he was and finally caught up with him in the middle of the African bush if you like yeah yeah is that and what does Stanley say to him when he caught up with him Kind of famous, uh, Dr. This, isn't Livingston, it? I presume. Yeah. He, he, he <laughs> Who fi- else would it be? <laughs> he finds this guy. I am just amazed, amazed at Livingston. He's lost his wife. He's gone through a terrible tragedy. Most people would run for home and the comforts of home. This guy does the opposite. He actually turns around, faces into the interior of Africa, and disappears. And he doesn't just go exploring. He's preaching. He's teaching. He's healing. Yes. And he explores. This is the most amazing. Amazing man, but his time came to an end too. A fairly young age too. Let me tell you. Well, after Stanley said goodbye, he had to go back and take the news of him back. Yep. Livingston was writing his journal, and five just five days after he'd seen this other white person in the middle of Africa, this is what he wrote: "My Jesus, my King, my life, my all." I again dedicate my whole life to you. Yeah. Wow. He was a tremendous and, man. Well, he, he kept going. And then you asked what happened to him. Yeah. Well, he's on his final journey and his health is failing. In fact, he had to be carried through the swamps on this trip. And finally, in 1873, he's 60 years of age. This man, this doctor, this missionary, this explorer, who had cheated death so many times, finally he dies. But guess where he died? He was beside his cot, kneeling in prayer, and he dies there. Very moving. He died talking to his master. Who had taken him, he might have been only 60, but God took him on a great adventure, didn't he? 
And, sure did. And back then, actually, at 60 years of age, he lived much longer than many of his compatriots in England. That would be right. Now, I kind well, of, I kind of feel a bit sad about this because I almost sense that Livingston would have been better to have his body buried in his beloved Africa. But I guess that's just me and my sense. It's not what they did. What happened? Well, they recognised that they would take it back. He must have said, take my body back and ship it to England. But they cut out his heart and they planted it under a tree in the country where he had given his life. And then... His body was dried up, wrapped in calico, and taken on a ship to England. And where was he buried? Well, he's buried in Westminster Abbey. Yeah. And uh, let me, you know, can you imagine when the ship got to England with uh, his body, there was a small African boy that came with it, and he had a sign that said, Dr. Livingston, friend of the African. Wow, he's a friend of these people. Yeah, I like that his heart was buried in Africa too, because I kind of... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's where his heart was. He was for the African people, he advanced the African people, and he gave them a wonderful gift, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. As you look at David Livingston's life, uh, uh, Harold Harker, what do you think we can learn from that in the 21st century today? I think if you recognise right through his life from his youth right through he was committed to God and he let God lead him and use him in his way and he became a great missionary for God and we can be missionaries whether it's in our home area or wherever it is God can use us if we've made that commitment to be his all our lives it is an amazing story how a little Scottish boy who worked in the, the mills of Scotland as a 10-year-old and had to educate himself uh, rose up and became such a great missionary. And perhaps today we'll never know till Jesus comes there are millions of people who know Christ because of Amen. the life of David Amen. Livingston. Thank you for the story, Harold Hark, and we look forward to meeting with you again for another wonderful story from the histories of God's people. Thank you, Lloyd. All the best. God bless. Bye. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Harold Harker. What a legend. He's a he is a legend. He's I can a tell you. I call him a fount of all knowledge. Yep, agreed. <laughs> Just so our listeners know, he's the one who's putting these program the, the the little part of our program to do with the the history, history of these guys. Yep. He's the one who's putting it together, and I'm asking the questions, and it's incredible. Now we're going to have. I'm changing things up a bit. Oh, oh, I like variety. Me too. So this should I be nervous? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I actually did talk to you about this. This one, um, where what what I'd like to do is I'd like to still have RC Aussie Pastor. Yep. But also, if you have a prayer request oh, that like you'd that. like us to read yep. online here on the radio, so not a secret one. Yep. You don't have to even sign your name for it, but if you've got a prayer request, also send it in to us and we'll pray for it. We'll for pray sure. over it today, hunty. For sure. So ask the Aussie pastor is what? Ask any yes. question. Yes, ask any Bible question and Pastor Lloyd will tackle it. Yeah, happy to. Yes. Have a go. Have a go. And no one stumped him yet. 
Well, look, I think you should be careful on that. <laughs> I'm hoping. I live yeah, in hope. Yeah, I think you're, you're setting me up when you say that here <laughs> you on You know radio. it. <laughs> it's not very hard to stump me, so don't take too much notice of him. But if you have a question, any Bible question, or you've got a prayer request that you'd like read out uh, on the radio, online here, and we will we will read it out and we'll pray over it. How do they get to us, Hundy? There's two ways. You can just send an SMS or a text to 488 851, or you can just send an email to info at aussiepastor.com. One more time. And, okay. and, and do the the phone number, man. The phone number, yes. Look, we're, we're trying to get a, a simple one, aren't we? Of we are. A six like, a, like a 131313 or something. Yeah. Uh, cool. By the way, don't ring that. No, don't ring that. It's pretty Qantas. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think it's an RMA, actually. Oh, okay, well yeah. done, Hunter. We'd like to have one of those numbers. So. We would. But can you text on those numbers? I don't know. I don't think you can. I know they're expensive. Yeah, we'll have to work it out anyway. Right. So read the number, number again. again yeah. And what you want to do, if you want to, con- we want you to contact us. Yes, please contact us. Yeah, prayer is requests. There, is there life out there? Yes, that's right. That's the Pre- question. Prayer requests. Ask the Aussie pastor, and you can get hold of us by texting to zero four double eight double eight zero eight five one or info at aussiepastor.com. And by the way, if you're listening to a, a, a replay of this program, yes. If you're listening to it right now, it's not a replay. That's right. <laughs> if you're listening, <laughs> that'll confuse the We issue. will still pray for every request <laughs> yeah, that comes in. Yeah, you send in. any yep. prayer request or any question yep. through any time during the week, and That's we'll be right. happy to, to, sure. to talk about it. We will it pray over it when we get them. On our show, yeah, yep. we, we will be. Yep. Um, our next song, Hunty. Yes. This one I do know. It's a ripper. It is. Uh, by a local group here in Sydney, a local, local Baptist group, actually. I didn't know that. Yeah. One of the girls who sings in this group, City of Light, teaches my kid at school. Huh. Yeah, so there you go. Cool. I've been after her to bring her group to New Hope so we can listen. This is a great song. We actually sing this one at New Hope. Yet not I, but through Christ and me. I hope you enjoy it. free 
Hunty, why I think that's such a beautiful song. I said because it reflects, for me, my most deep innermost desire. Wow, and that is to have Christ in me. Yep, and I think if we can have Christ in us, we can be possessed by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, Christ representative here on earth. When we can have Christ in us, it changes everything. Yes. We become this beautiful person yep. full of peace. And when I look at the average Aussie out there, the lack of peace and the heartache and the dissension and the strife in our hearts, it's that experience of Christ in me that we all desire, even though a lot of the time we don't recognize it. It is truly beautiful. I, I believe we are created as human beings to have Christ in us. Mm. We need to talk more about that. Yep, we do. Christ in us. How does it happen? How does it come? And, and, and it just comes really by asking. Mm, the world would be so much a better place. Yeah, just if you want Christ in you, ask. Mm. I think it's, it's, Luke, it's easy. Luke 11 says, hey, where God says, um, how much do you fathers love to give good? Do you like giving good yeah, gifts, gifts to your children, children aren't you? Yeah, you it. do, don't you? I know you do. You, 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 you say, I've seen you when you've been broken. I've seen you when you've been doing well off. And whether you're broke or whether you're well off, you love to give presents to your kids. Don't we all? Yeah. And, and it's kind of like that with Christ. Um, he says in Luke 11, if you like fathers giving good gifts to your kids, how much more do you think I want to give you the Holy Spirit if you ask for him? And if you want Christ in you, don't try anything other than get on your knees and ask for it. And it's a simple That's prayer. Right. Lord Jesus. Come and dwell in me. Yep, that's a great start. It is beautiful. Mm. Hey, Hunty, mobile phones. Mm -hmm. Did you know that in Australia in 2020 last year, from 2015 to 2020, mobile phone use between 13 to 16-year-olds, so to me that's young. Teens. Yeah, teens. 2015 it's 41%, 2020 it's 46%. That's mobile phone use. That's smartphones? Yeah. That's so they're using it, but some of those kids are using their parents' mobile phones. In that age group, thirteen to sixteen, how many? What percentage of kids do you reckon? Just have a guess, Hunter. You're a tech guru. What percentage <laughs> of kids do you reckon have mobile phones? Uh, most, I'd say. No, I was surprised, and and it, it kind of well done, Aussie parents. Only thirty three percent. Wow. So thirty three percent of kids. Um, and I'm going to drag this back. It's not 13 to 16. 33% of kids from 6 to 13 okay. have mobile phones. Right. 33%. Is that a good thing? Now, you're a tech guru. So I'm asking you as a tech guru who you know mobile. Look, by the way, listeners, when I have a problem with my mobile phone, I, I don't go to Telstra, who, I, who I've got my contract with. I go straight to Hunty. So he's a tech guru. He knows the positives of mobile phones. He knows the negatives. Is it a good thing for kids 6 to 13 for 33% to have their own phone? Look, there are some benefits to education and learning and, and programming of your, your brain, but... The overwhelming evidence, in my opinion, from what I have seen, it's a bad influence on a young mind. 
Well, interesting you say that because 75%, almost 75% of those kids, guess what the overwhelming thing is they use their mobile phones for? And it's not to call you, dad and mum. By the way, Hunty is more than a dad. He's just recently <laughs> a grandfather. Thank you. So I am. We're going to call you grandpa on this I'm show. Old, from older here than dad. Yeah. <laughs> grandpa. So grandpa, is that a good thing that almost 75% the primary use of their phones is games? No, that that kind of really disturbs me because um, I think our kids should be out in the fresh air using their arms and legs and their hands with balls and bikes and getting real-life experience. I don't think that sitting in a dark room gaming for hours and hours and hours is good. In fact, I, I, I didn't let my kids do it, and I think parents should be very careful. You're going to encourage your kids to not let their grandkids, your grandkids do it? I hope I never frisbee an iPad across to a to a young child as a babysitter. I hope I never do that. Yeah. Hey, um, are the games bad? Yes, I believe that All of them? a lot of the games are very bad. Do you know, this is what a dinosaur I am. I actually have not ever, part, really, other than my last, you know the last game I played? What was that? On a computer, on a laptop or an iPad? Call of Duty? No, I don't even know what that is. Sims? No. Nah. Lemmings? I'm going to disappoint you. Yes. Space Invaders. Space Invaders. <laughs> oh, that hearts back to the 80s. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a long time. Uh, mobile, mobile, games on computer or mobile phone doesn't matter. Got a hold of me real early. Yep. And I recognise if I actually went anywhere near them, I was going to have a problem. So I avoid computer, phone games like the plague. Yeah, I've got an addictive personality, so I, I try and be very careful there too. So I've got some parents listening, and you're, so you're saying these games are generally negative. The ones that kids like to play are full of negatives. Are you saying that's because of what the murder and the crime and well, the vice exactly. and the immorality in them? Exactly. Or are you saying because they play them out? No, I'm, I'm saying the, the games that kids like to play are full of murder and killing and all kinds of sexual Enticement and innuendos. So, so it's not for you. It's not the length of time they're playing the games. It's what it's all above. Oh my goodness! Yes, yeah. It should be out in the sun and out in the fresh air, and the inside on a pad or an iPad or a phone. Bad problem. And then hours and hours and hours. We've both seen kids that would rather play games. Then eat and sleep. Oh, look, my own kid. I got a, I got a teenage boy who's fourteen. Uh-oh. You know him. He, he'd kill me if you heard me saying this on radio. But I know you listeners aren't gonna. You're not gonna tell on me. But he, he, look. Honestly, I could leave him on Saturday night after yep. the Sabbath goes down on a game yep. and come back Sunday night yes. and he would have had two hours sleep, <laughs> wouldn't have eaten, probably hasn't drunk. Or spent the whole, no, no, no shower. Spent the, oh, he would kill me, wouldn't he, if he heard this. He spent the whole time, he would spend the whole, we don't let him do it. Yep. In fact, so proactive we would become on this, hunty, yep. that on Sundays, Lizzie and me, that's my wife and me, with our 14-year-old boy, he's basically the last one left. The rest are off doing their yep. own. Uh, one's a nurse. The other one's at uni, away at uni doing yep. teaching. The other one's yep. at uni doing something else. So they're gone. So we've got this 14-year-old boy. And on Sundays, and you've seen a hunty, I, I need to go out to my farm on Sundays <laughs> and mow and slash. And, man, we've got a problem with vermin out there. got to pull everything out. But you we know do. what I do on Sundays? We spend time with him to get him out of the house Good. and away from the mobile phone. Good. So... That's what I do, but what would you suggest for parents, Grandpa? Look, anything. Just get them out of their rooms, off their pads. I mean, games like Grand Theft Auto and similar are just teaching them the evil side of life and the evil side of this planet. 
There's no space in a young mind for that stuff that you, that you want. Building highways in their heads. That Neural pathways, can, terrible. Can, can never be blown up. It's just, isn't it a pity it wasn't like life was for you and me? We're on a Sunday morning. Yeah. We got on a bike. We get Off on our bikes, bikes and disappear. My mum and dad wouldn't see us till sundown. We'd come back dirty, tired, yep. and ravishingly hungry. That's right. And that was, but they can't, we, we just can't let our kids loose because of the dangers out there today like that. I mean, I support parents giving, giving kids phones at an early age for safety. Yeah. But that's it. Yeah. We, we need to teach our kids to manage their phones, don't we? They can be a real positive, but we need to teach our kids actively I to think, manage I think their kids phones. Can't, I don't think kids can, can withstand the temptation. Yeah. There's, there's evils in all kinds of social media and games. And then there's literal dangers of chatting with people in these games that are unsavory. So, so at what age would you, and you are genu- gen- genuinely a grandfather and you're an experienced father. You had four kids. Well, my daughter who's just had a baby, I remember back when she was in her mid teens, she was being stalked by a guy online. And thankfully at the time I had, I was tracking IP addresses and all kinds of routing and I was able to give the police the information as to where the person came from, but you know that was twenty five. Well, that's years another ago, twenty danger, years ago. You just brought up. I'm trying to bring this interview to an end, and you oh. brought up another very, very serious danger yeah. that we need to watch what our kids, who our kids are talking yes. to, and what they're watching all the time. I mean, you can get into pornography too, where kids at seven and eight and younger are getting exposed to this terrible stuff, and it, it's doing terrible things to them. Yep. Are twisting their minds. So, so at what age would you give your child a mobile phone, and how would you manage it? Um, I would certainly manage it, and I would block a whole bunch of sites. But I would give my my kid a phone. The moment I let my kid out of my sight to go to football or t-ball or music, so they can for contact. Safety, so, so we can. So they're probably contact, talking yeah. about their early teens. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, it's something to be aware of. Parents don't use the mobile phone as a child minding. Correct. Uh, no babysitting with pads and it's not. It's not a babysitter. And we need to be very active in our parenting so that our kids have got a chance. Yes. It's very, very important. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. One more time, Hunty, if you want to contact us on the Aussie Pastor with a question or if you want to send in a prayer request. Yes, zero four double eight double eight zero eight five one or info at aussiepastor.com. This song I do know. Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. It's an old-time classic, this one. A beautiful one. We sing this one in church, too. It's a ripper. And every time we sing it, it booms, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. There it goes off. Leaning on the Everlasting Leaning on Jesus. Is there a better thought in all the world than to spend your life, walk through your life, leaning on Jesus? This is Leaning on the Everlasting Arms from the Malvinas. Thank you for 
lot to welcome Gavin Chatelier to our program today. He's a husband, a father, a grandfather, and he is a professional gospel singer, and I'm a fan. Welcome, Gavin. Thank you so much, Pastor Lloyd. I'm looking forward to uh, spending time with you, yeah. I can't remember where we met, but I reckon it must have been a long time ago. Oh, yeah. Look, I started out with my family music ministry, and and I remember ringing you and saying, hey, I've got seven kids. Uh, We've got a (laughs) full-time music ministry. What do you think? And come on over. We loved it. Not a problem. We've loved it. it I think I have not had a church since I returned to Australia and you haven't come and sung in it. That's how much I enjoy your singing. Hey, a bit of your background, mate. Where were you born and brought up? Okay, I was actually born in India, but I grew up here in Australia as a 10-month-old baby. So you yeah. you are an Aussie, uh, but Chatelier, yeah. is that French? It is French. I don't speak any French, but that, you know, that's fine. I'm guessing your dad and mum aren't classic Aussies as, as such. They, they come from India, is that correct? That's right, and, you know, dad came out here as a young man. I was a 10-year-old, 10-month-old baby, so you can imagine him starting out. He has He still has a little bit of the Indian accent. Okay. So I have a bit of a laugh. You know, we have a bit of a joke about it, two of us. So when Australia plays cricket, is he cheering for Australia or India? (laughs) I used to just steal my brother because I'm the eldest of three. So he was, um, my brother was always Australia. So I said, okay, I'm going India. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, um, you're very musical and and your family's very musical. I've been watching you for years. Do you come from a musical background? Because you can sing. It's beautiful to listen to. Yeah, I, I I fully appreciated that I could sing when I realized it was a call. And that really only happens when you're mature enough, you know, in your faith yeah. and everything. And I realized that God was the one who gave it to me. Yeah. And then I, then I really started to sing from the heart, you know. It was entertainment at one time and I did work in, in the music industry. Um, but now... I know that it's a calling. So I, yeah. I probably was about 18 years old when the gospel music started to take over in my music. So is that when you would say at about 18 you became a professional singer? 18, yeah, because we came out of school and I had a band called Hot Ice, which you'd <laughs> never call it that today, you know, but it was back in the 80s and that's how we, we looked for work, which got me into that scene. And even though I had a tertiary qualifications marketing business, I felt that um, music was my passion. If you work hard enough at it, yeah. there's opportunities to make it work, yeah. Did, yeah. With that band, were you the lead singer? I, yeah, I was always the lead singer. We we had to feel our way in that. One time, a, a manager of one of the big bands came to see us rehearsing, and, a, and all of us were taking turns singing. Everyone loved the singing, you know, the front band thing. Yep. And this guy said, hey, you need to stick to the keyboards drums and you do you keep the guitar happening gav is the lead singer okay. you got to keep him there yeah, yeah. <laughs> but all the guys that sing was it all boy was it all was it an all, it boy, all boy band, band yeah they all, all sang band. did they sing with you they all sang and they did harmonies and stuff but you know everyone's got their strengths in it you know so this guy picked us out and he settled yeah. up from then on i i became the lead singer i play i play a bit of guitar also but uh hey, yeah the, oh, just off to the tangent for a moment, have you got any records or CDs of that band or are they all gone? Yeah, I, no, I have got stuff of the band and um, we did record in the studio because we made a demo to get us out there. But, yep. um, you know, I've, I've, I've kept going since then. I recorded 20 albums, yeah. um, a mixture of uh, love songs because yep. I do a lot of weddings also yeah. and also okay. gospel stuff. Do, do, do those, are those boys still around or you kind of lost contact through the years? We have. We still keep in touch. Cool. Um, 
I'm actually going to one of the gigs of the drummer, even though we don't play together. Yeah, yeah. Um, he'd, he'd be my age. He's going on 55 like me. Yeah. So we, we're actually going to one of his gigs to see him. He's, he's now uh, a jazz drummer. So we, we catch up. Um, the keyboard player is a Malaysian guy. He just passed away recently, sadly okay. enough, yeah. from cancer. But, you know, all the boys are, are around. I catch up with the bass player. He's got a family. Yeah. So, you know, 40 years plus we've been together. Um, just talking and catching up. We've gone our separate ways. Yeah. But, uh, still mates. We catch up. Hey. Still mates. You're a disciple of Jesus. You are a believer. I know that. Has that had an impact yep. on your music? Yeah. Look, that, that was what made me realize that music, the words, the melodies are so important, how they impact on people's lives. Yep. So even, even a love song. Yeah. Can, can have an impact. So you, you, you've got to be careful of what type of songs you sing. Yeah. You don't want to. You don't want to. You don't want to imply something to yeah. people. So yeah. I, I always pick my songs, yeah. and I say to the couples if I'm singing love songs, you know, you guys need to cuddle up closer so I can serenade you. You know, you try yeah. to bring people together through the music, yeah. and so I see the impact of that—the words, music, mm. um, you know, uplifting Jesus, His principles. Yeah. Um, all are important. Absolutely. Now, if I was to listen to you, I would say, man, that guy sounds like Elvis. And I think <laughs> other people would say that to you, but if yeah. I ask you a style, do you have a style of singing? Uh, I guess my style um, is definitely I would call it old school, yeah. but it's you know it's got all those all those legend type singers: Glenn Campbell, Elvis, Cliff Richard, Tom Jones, which yeah. all had all these guys had gospel. Yeah, in they the, did. You know, they, they all they the all had place. some sort of relationship with Jesus, even if times it was tenuous, didn't they? Those guys, yeah, absolutely. You know, you know yeah. they were human, but they also had that. They fell back on that. So, you can see Jesus uh, impacting their lives all the way through their music, and I, and I think of all those yeah. guys: Glenn Campbell, Elvis Presley. Um, yep. Even today, a lot of a lot of the singers. That's the case. Um, look, you're you're a professional singer. It's what you do for a living. Is it hard to make a living as a gospel singer in a, Australia? And the reason I, I ask that is it's probably pretty hard to make a living as a singer full stop in Australia. But you're a gospel singer. Is that difficult? Look, there's there's um, I guess the basis of it is is our church um heritage in Australia, you know, there are churches on every corner or on every street. So people are always looking, searching, um, like every country, every we're all the same, we all need Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah. So going into those churches, you gotta contact them, you gotta you got to let them know who you are and so it takes effort. You gotta mm. you gotta do those calls every day and that's what I do. I so you're singing in, you're singing in churches around Australia of all the different denominations I'm imagining. Of all the different denominations and I also go into the festivals. Tamworth community uh, Tamworth Country Festival. Yep. Elvis um, has his they have their his festival which I do the Elvis gospel. I'm the gospel Elvis. Yeah. So I do five shows there. So yeah, there's opportunities like that. For sure. Do you do you ever just get your guitar and go onto the street and busk? Yes, I do. Okay. I was, um, during the festive seasons, like Christmas Eve, I was with my guitar in the street outside a front shop locally here um, down in Gippsland. I I was here yep. singing and um, people busking, you know, and people came bought my CDs. Through a few coins, yeah. I made a good living that day. Do, do you people enjoy busking? I enjoy busking because most people don't consider it for professionals. Yeah. So they they think, oh, yeah, someone's busking. You know, this guy needs some money or something. Well, yeah. look, while I do need make it as my living, 
when I sing there, people say, wow, what's, this is sounding, you know, it's it's become a profession for a lot of people. Yeah, it's an yeah. opportunity to meet people on the street. I meet pastors. I meet people who are in search of yeah. something. They come, they're drawn to the music, they buy my my albums. I love it as a front. I even, similar to that is doing markets. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, you sing at the market. Yep. Um, yep. So it's that's probably the best. It. In fact, I reckon, and this is just me from my view, I reckon it's yes. the best form of street preaching there is because as a pastor and a preacher, if I get out and preach, people are not going to take that. Um, no. Actually, Hunty and I are in, in Sydney sometimes walking along. We see these street preachers, don't we, Hunty? Yeah, we do. Yeah. And it's not real impressive, but if you see someone singing and, and singing beautifully, even gospel yeah. stuff, you're going to sit, you're going to listen, and you're yeah. going to enjoy. Um, Definitely. Hey, COVID-19, has that hurt you, mate? Because I know right, right now as I'm talking to you, Victoria is in lockdown. Is, is, is this hurting you? It's hurting me much more now. Yeah. But back when it first happened, you know, the government did come in with JobKeeper and everything, and I thought, oh, yeah, even though it's still a slice in my income, yeah. I just saw it as long service leave. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I tried to keep it positive. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I kept, I did my shows from my lounge. How does that work? The, well, what they have is a PayPal tip jar. Yeah. Right. Yep. All the artists have their own link. Yep. And yep. and you know you, you know what was amazing with it that got me through was. People who are watching, even some of the church families that I've been around throughout yeah. Victoria and Australia, they would watch me online and they'd say, hey, Gav, you were supposed to be at our church this month. We've just seen you do your gospel show. We're sending you the check that we would normally send wow. you. Wow. And you, so you did make so it through. I made it through. I was happy. You know, I, I connected with people. But um, now it's going to be harder because we're, we are on our own. Yeah. Uh, I'll have to get back on the online shows, but there's no no income, no support. Yeah, which you know, I mean, they knew that it was going to be a longer period. Now I don't know. This is seven days; it could go longer. Yeah. So what am I going to do then? Yeah. Basically, no income. Pray for right? Victoria. How do, how do you go? Pray for freedom on move to New South Wales, brother. Well, this is what I'm thinking of doing. If I can get through the borders, I'll come out to you. Yeah. <laughs> We'd be happy to have you. <laughs> hey, <laughs> Tamworth. You, you mentioned you go to Tamworth. Is that the big country music yes. festival? It's, uh, it's 50,000 people come through the place. So you can imagine as a, as, as a Christian with people coming through open to listening to music and song. Of course. Yeah. I, I say to the churches in the area, hey, let's open our doors. I'll busk in the street. We'll invite the people back for a few shows. Yeah. Gospel um, things. Wow. You know, and work with them. And does that and work? So the churches that are switched on, yeah. they'll jump on it. They'll go, yeah, there's, you know, Salvation Army, some of these different yeah. denominations. Fantastic. They're very community-minded. They say, yeah. yeah, let's do it. And uh, I work along with them for sure. They're, they're there for country music. When you're busking in the street, are you, are you singing mostly gospel songs or a mix? Is there a bit of a crossover and a mixture of both? And do people stop and listen? You remember talking to a crowd that's coming from all backgrounds. So that's to right. just sing gospel music, you've got to think of it as bigger. God's bigger yeah. picture is that He speaks to the heart through our emotions, through our love, through yeah. you know good goodness. So yeah. there's a lot of beautiful songs like um, "What a Wonderful World," yeah, you know, yeah, nice um, "Bridge Over Troubled Water," yeah, you know. So you yeah. sing those songs, and then when people come and stop and stand around, I say, "You know who the Bridge Over Troubled Water is for me?" Yeah, there's only one, Jesus Christ. They say, "Oh, you know, what are you doing on the street?" Well, he's the one that gave it to me. 
this gift yeah. and I want to praise him. So, you know, you just bring it back to, to God. I, I, I know that he's the one that sustains me I, and he gives me the gift. I don't even know if my voice is going to work until I open my mouth and have a prayer and then, yeah. you know, it's, I'm totally dependent on him. What is it about singing you like the most? I love the fact that it is a communication. Mm. So just like you love preaching, mm. what I believe with the music, and you've said it yourself, it mm. breaks down the barriers yeah. wherever you are. I did a show in my front yard during COVID and there were people from the neighbourhood um, who came to it and they got to know me through that. I was able to tell my story. Trudy came, she spoke. We, we even held another show at the Thorpedale Community Centre up the road here. Wow. And people came, you know. So beautiful to to bring people in and, and encourage people and, and enlighten them and give them some sort of hope. Have you seen people find Jesus through your music? Amen. You know, look, I did a gospel show during the Elvis Festival and I was in a pub. We had our PowerPoint, we had our Bible scriptures on there, we had yeah, pictures love of Jesus. That. In the pub, sharing that, Christ. In the pub, in the <laughs> pub. And, and you know, and at the end of the show, people lined up. I was quite amazed by it and they wanted me to sign the CDs that I was selling. Yeah. And one lady came right at the end, she was right at the end of the line and she said to me, Hey, you know, I really haven't given him a chance. And I know who she was talking about. She said, I just heard you sing. Would you sign your CD? So I signed it and she said, this was my last $20 that I was going to spend on drink, but I've bought your album instead. Very moving. Very moving. So that is why I sing. That's the purpose. Yeah. That's what really, really, uh, they're the stories I see all the time. How long do you intend to keep singing? You said you're 55. You and me... We're not far apart. I'm two years older than you. I know. <laughs> how, I know. Long, how long do you... Because if you say, how long are you going to keep preaching, Lloyd? Well, a long time. Yeah. How long are you going to keep That's singing? Right. Oh, look, I, the way I look at it, I've looked at some of the guys that we would call legends today. Yeah. Yep. Like um, Willie Nelson, for example. He was, still going. He was old, right? man, that guy, when I was young. <laughs> he wrote the song, The Family Bible. Oh, right? okay. Which is what I sing. I sing that. Yeah, I know. So I know I've, got to keep, I've got to keep. I've got to keep singing his song. You know, I can't stop. And uh, I recorded an album with that. So, how long have I got? I think um, you know, if Willie Nelson can keep going at eighty years old plus, yeah, I think I, I don't. I don't think there's a, a limit to it. <laughs> well, that, that's you see these guys. Tony Bennett, he's another one singing deep into old age. They're they're all over the place, aren't they? Um, yeah. Do you have a favourite song? You know, people ask that all the time, and and um, I wrote a song called "Trusting in Jesus." Yes, it's on it's on my only Jesus album, which was the way I launched my music ministry. Yeah, back when I first recorded, it was on cassette. Yep, I still sing that song today because it it has the story of my life and my conversion in that song. Wow, and I still go back to that. You know, trusting yeah. in Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not for riches or for fame is one of the lines in it. Yeah, but just to praise your name, yeah. and um, and that's that's in my song. So I, I, the song that I wrote comes from the heart. Um, there's many beautiful songs, but um, I guess that's one I, I really I, I resonate with. Yeah. Well, you've blessed many yeah. of us over the years, Gavin. You and your family with really, really beautiful music. And I want to thank you for joining us today with a little bit about your story. I know there's a lot more, but thank you. God bless you and keep singing. Thank you so much, Pastor Lloyd. It's a privilege to do it. I want to encourage young people to just get out there, get into the places, get markets, the song in. um, festivals, and 
give Jesus, raise his name up high through the music. Fabulous. Thank you. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Hey, Hunty. Yeah, mate. Did you hear me then? What? You did put the song in. I've just put him under pressure, and I love doing this. That song, that song of Gavin's, what was it called? Trusting, trusting in Jesus. Now he's yeah, got a computer. He said trusting in You've Jesus. You've got a computer here, and it's right uh, in front I've of you. Got lots of songs, and, and I'm, I'm yelling at you <laughs> as as, that inter- as we're interviewing there. Hey, yes, um, we can do that. You know that I'm, we can. I can be interviewing, and I can be mouthing and hunting, and I can be doing and it. waving your arms. Can you, what am I doing now, Hunty? That means you're ready to take off. Can, can you? <laughs> <laughs> So I'm doing the interview. I'm waving at Hunty. Hey, song, song, song. Hey, Hunty. Yeah. Can can you put the song in? Can you find it? Sure. Give me a sec. Um, while I find it, let me tell you about uh, Gavin's website. If you like the song and like to support Gavin's ministry and like his music, okay. go to www.gavinchatelier.com. Spelled Gavin C H A T E L I E R. Gavinchatelier.com. All right, got the song. You have. I have. Hunty. Ah, uh, let's fingers crossed. Are, <laughs> you are one of the good ones. Let's see how we're going. Here we go. Trusting in my sweet Jesus is the one I
I'd like to welcome to our program today a friend of mine, good friend actually, Daniel Cinzio. Welcome to the program. Great to talk to you. Now, if I was to describe you, and I've known you for many years, I would use one word. It would be visionary. You step out and you do big things for God. Well, we've got a big God, Lloyd. Yes, we do. Now, I want to find out a little bit about your background. You grew up in the best city in Australia, Brisbane, correct? Pretty close, mate. I was actually born in Darwin and lived there for eight (laughs) years and my family moved down here. I never knew you were born in Darwin. There you go. The NT blood runs strong, mate. So you're not really a Queenslander? I guess you'd have to say that. But look, I've adopted Queensland and I've been here a lot longer than I was in Darwin. I love both. So you grew up in Brisbane. When did you meet Jesus, Daniel? Mate. I grew up in a Christian home. I was very blessed to have that. Did you ever have a time where you made a distinct decision for Christ or really from a child have you always been a believer and a follower? In my late teens, I I began to look at the church, internalise my own journey and faith, and I thought, oh, the biggest of the hypocrites, I want out of here. Yeah. And I used to have a mate who was riding to rally cars and high performance road vehicles, he was killed. Oh, And he asked me a lot of questions and I've never been able to answer those because I, I really wasn't passionate about my faith at that time. I was going in another direction. Yeah. And it really knocked me for six. And I thought, you know, eternal realities are real. Yeah. And so I was in tears for a couple of days and then I just made a deal with God. And I said, if you're real, you better let me know. Yep. And I know that you've got a Bible, so I'm going to read that. And I'm going to pray. Yeah. But I'm not going to use the, the lingo that I've, you know, a lot of places growing up with, with these and yeah. theirs and all that sort of stuff. Yep. I'm just going to be me. God, it's Daniel here. Thanks for we can catch up. And I just went from there. And that was really the beginning of my, my journey with God as who I am today. How old would you have been when that happened, Daniel? About 18. Okay. Now, since yep. then, you've, you've, you're married, you're a family man, correct? Yes. Yes, I have three children, uh, 18-year-old boy, a 15-year-old, and a 13-year-old girl. Yeah. Two girls, the younger girls. Okay. Yep. Now, the Lord has led you into something, what well, I, I would call this a very, very interesting project. It's uh, ministry at the front line, right down on the street, where I, I think you might be doing what Jesus would be doing if he was here. Tell us about that, because I think this is very exciting, Daniel. My wife actually prompted me. She said, why don't you see if you can do a bread one? You know, get out of the house and see what you can do. So I went and contacted a, a local bakery. Yep. Said, do you have any bread that you'll be able to give? So they gave it to us. So for a year, um, I got this bread, and I went to a neighbor who I knew, and I said, would you like some bread? They said, yeah, that'd be great. And I said, do you know anyone else? Oh, yeah, those people would. And I kept asking that question. Yeah. And we'd end up going out two nights a week distributing bread. To, is this basically bread to people who can't afford it? Or is it yeah, just people who were battling. Yeah, okay, yep. And I just kept getting referred to their friends and their friends. I also ended up chasing up some of the people that used to come in our camps and some of the young people and their family. Yeah. And that was a wonderful thing for me, just getting out of the house and helping people and building community. How much bread would you be delivering? I loaded up the back of our Land Cruiser. Yeah. Filled the back of it and the back seat and off we go. So this is leftover bread that didn't sell. 
Yeah, so all bakeries at the end of the day, they ha- they can't resell their bread. Yeah. So often they give it to farmers or they give it to people who care or charities. Yeah, yeah. And so our local bakery willing to do that. Wow. I did that and we saw the need for a food bank for people to have food, you know, you're starting to get in touch with people's lives. Are you saying that out there in everyday Australia, there is a need, that people have a need just for the basics of food? Yes, mate. Every every community is battling. There's a lot of people doing it tough. Are you saying there are people in our community that are going hungry? Is it is it that acute? Yep. Wow. Yep. Okay. You, you don't see it a lot, Lloyd, but yes, it's true. There's people with, you know, anxiety and depression are chronic uh, conditions that are, you know, ravaging so many communities today, and these things hold people away from so much. People, you know, there's addiction that are, are really hurting a lot of people. And, and so those addictions, people put their meager resources into those and then their food supply, you know, a secondary. There's a lot of challenges, mate. Yeah, okay. And so we thought that's something that we could help with. So you're delivering bread and what did that grow into? What happened? We then saw the need for a food bank. Yep. And so this is really cool, Lloyd. I contacted uh, actually a relative of mine who's an accountant and he, at no cost to us, helped to set up a charitable organisation structure. Yep. Because I contacted the food bank, which is a central body in, in each city we have one of those, yes. I believe. Yes, that's Certainly right. Sydney and, and Brisbane. Yep. And they said, you need to be a charitable organisation to be able to do that. And they also said, you need to have a food distribution program for a year. Yep. Before applying. Yes. And I didn't realise, but I'd started that bread run, and it was two to week. And the charitable organisation status came through that I'd been doing a bread run for a year. So we were able to also tick that box. Yep. So we got access. Also, at the same time, the Uniting Church in our community started a community centre and they allowed us to use their double garage to start the food bank. Wow. Wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. so, So we were able to access that venue. I hooked my trailer on, went to the food bank, and I bought everything that I could. You pay a very small handling fee to food bank, and then we bring that food back home, and we got some tables together. We ended up finding our boxes at our local chemist. Yes. They receive all their medication in these perfect little angled, lovely hamper boxes. Yep. And so we grabbed those, and we made up 10 hampers on our first day, and we gave away seven. Okay. And in in the next month, it grew to about 70 hampers. And I recognised that it would be really good for people to have fresh stuff. So yes. I chased around, visited our local produce guys, and they, the management there, are willing to give us uh, fresh produce, fruit and vegetables at uh, cost price. Yes. So we take as much of that as we can fit into our car and trailer every week as well now. And then with the bread on top of that, it gives people a really good, good lot of food. So how many people are you feeding now through the food bank? Between, say, 45, 50, and 70, 80 hampers per week. Yes. But um, we lost that venue. Yep. And this is where it really gets even more amazing. Yeah. We lost the ability to go to that venue, and we were going, oh, no, what's, what's the future hold? Yeah. And we were praying about God, do you want this to continue? You know, is this the end of this season and moving on to another one? Yep. And I started to ask around... We were praying about it. We went and inquired around all the available commercial spaces. In our area, there's very little 
uh, free commercial space because it's a new area. They're housing yeah, yeah. and then there's these specifically built places where, you know, developers are doing their thing. Yeah. And it was crazy expensive. There's no way we could afford it at all. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, we saw one place that provided an ideal setting for for all the different situations. It was a bit removed from all the other shops that provided some peace for people with anxiety. We put an application in and we said, you know, we're not doing so well financially because yeah. we don't make money out of the three banks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they got back to it and over a series of three negotiations with them, they halved the rent for oh, it. Oh, boy. That's and incredible. that was still, you know, three or four times what we paid for our rented house, and we didn't know how we were going to pay that. Yeah. But we thought, well, that's the best we can do, God, if that's what you want. That's the door you're opening, we'll go through it. So we said, yes, we accepted that, and we put, we paid our deposit, we're waiting for our application paperwork to come through. Three weeks later, no paperwork. We're going, what on earth is going on? A new manager came to this, uh, developer. Yep. And he called us in on the weekend, and he sat down, we talked for a couple of hours about all sorts of stuff. And then the end, he said, look, I've stuffed your paperwork out. I've looked at the figures and this is more than you can afford what you're going to pay. So we've taken the numbers down. Wow. And we didn't ask for this, Lloyd. And he took the, the rent for that building down to less than what we pay for our house. Incredible. And then I, I asked him, I said, well, can we put a ship container or something in the car park? There's a back car park so that we could store all our gear. Yeah. He said, no, you don't need that, mate. Just use some more of the building. <laughs> and he then gave us another same area of that building for free. Wow. Wow. Isn't that lovely? It's the power of God. It means you're in a ministry and that's God-blessed. Yeah. I was just saying, whoa, God, I've sort of lost the word. Yeah. And yeah. so I thought, well, that's, that's a beautiful confirmation to keep going. Yeah, yeah. So, I then, I'd caught up, there was an old schoolmate, Dave, um, I'd caught up with him probably two or three years ago, out of the blue, at a church that I, that I'd visited. And he told me he was a shop fitter. And I thought, well that's exactly what we need, I'm gonna ask Dave, see what he thinks, whether he can help us in any way, whether he has contacts, you know, advisors on stuff. I can see where this and is he going. Came, <laughs> he came out, he had a look. Yep. And he said, he thought about it for a week or so. He said, yep, I'll help you. <laughs> he then contacted his friend, who is a Christian businessman, owns a whole shop fitting supply business. Yes. And this little this guy came out to us, lovely bloke. He sort of reminds me a little bit of what I'd imagine a mafia guy would be, short, <laughs> European. Yep. And he's standing there, and we talked for a while, and he put his hands out open. He said, Daniel, anything you need for this shop, you got it. Wow. And so my friend Dave put the order through and we got a big suspended ceiling and roof and all sorts of stuff done. So you're able to take a, a tin metal shed and put suspended ceilings and stuff in yep. it, make, it, make yep. it more homely. Yep. Well, we one of our high values is to care for people as best we can. Yeah, yeah. So we wanted that building to not only be a roof and wall, but a place that's peaceful, that brings joy and that brings hope to people's lives. Yeah, yeah. We're coming to us. Yeah. And we had $3,000 in our bank to start this project, Lloyd. Yes. And thus far, it's been estimated eighty dollars to $90,000 worth of work and materials have been donated. Wow. And I, I've been in tears many times 
you know, throughout the week as God is just opening and opening the doors. I got woken up again this morning by electricians donating their time coming to sort some electrical stuff out for us. So this building, is it somewhere that you just store food in or do people come here? or How does that work? Well, it's, it's in progress, Lloyd. This Friday, for the first time, we're going to be distributing food. Yes. Again. From the but building? We've set up a... Yes. Yes. It's got a large veranda. Previously, people used to line up. They have to wait in the sun. Yeah. It was a nightmare. It was raining. Christmas time, we had so many people come through. We had people getting sunstroke in line. It was really bad. So now they have a big sheltered veranda. We'll have some tables and chairs where people can sit. We're going to have a food bank section right out the back. Yes. Um, To help us to afford the rent, we're also starting an op shop. Yes. I good. That was... That was... That was something that fitted with, you know, what we do as a charity. Yes. And we've never done that before either, so it's all an exciting journey. Just unbelievable. I, I've just been overwhelmed. And our local counsellor, she's got, you know, she's, got, she's just a lovely lady, very passionate about what we're doing. Yes. And she's organised for a grant for us, and that's bought us fridges and freezers. But oh. we still had a lot of stuff that, that we needed, and she called in a week ago. She said, look, I know this. I've been sitting in a meeting with the other councillors and hardly anyone is asking for community funding this year. Yeah, yeah. So she said, I'm going to put you out there again for another grant. Yeah. And she just called in this morning before you guys and dropped some clothes off. She said, one councillor just come back to me with some money and we'll see what the other ones come back with in the next day or two. So we may have another grant to be able to finish and supply all the internals of the shop. So this building, what's your plan, ultimate plan for the building as a, as okay. a, as a, as a, as, a mish, as, as, as an outreach centre for Christ in your community? What, yeah. what is your vision? Because you are a man of vision. I always believe that God called all of us to be missionaries, Lloyd. Yep. And as in people who can respond to God's call wherever we are, He gives us what we need to do what He's asked us to do. Yep. With this building, um, it's just a tool and a wonderful opportunity to help people and connect with people. Well, Daniel, thank you for your time today. It's been inspiring to listen to you and to see how God's unpacking things in your life and leading you on great adventures and doing great things. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Wonderful, mate. Keep the faith, mate. Thanks. Hey, Lloyd. Yeah. You said that to me when I was a kid. Keep the faith. You preached to the church. You said, you said keep the faith, Daniel. Yeah. And I've never forgotten it. And I share it everywhere. Keep your face, brother. You too, brother. God bless. See ya. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Okay, Hunty, we're going to skip some stuff here. Okay. <laughs> we're running out of time fast. <laughs> okay. Straight into Ask the Aussie Pastor. All right. We Is that all right? Am I putting you under... Nah, we got, we got some questions too. Yeah, we have. We have. Actually, and, we and, be... and I'm going to do the first one. Okay. I, I'm going to swing it around onto you. Um, this says, Hi, Lloyd and Hunty. And I'm, I'm doing this because Hunty's a techie. Listening to your mobile phone discussion and being one that struggles with gaming. Yep. Yeah, okay. Do you have any good suggestions for dumb phones for kids? I'm planning for the future. My kids are only eight and six. That's from Braden. Maybe you need to tell us what a dumb phone is and then what you are suggesting, Hunty. Okay, well, there's smartphones and dumb phones. Smartphones generally have a big screen where you can play games and surf the internet and dumb phones have a small screen where you can see the phone number. My advice to parents is if you're bringing phones down through the hand-me-down system, 
you don't need to buy a special dumb phone for your kid to protect them. You can give them your, your old smartphone, but you need to turn all the parental controls on and protections. So they can't go to websites you don't approve of. Can kids turn them back on? And they can't install Because they're smarter not, than us a lot of the time. Not eight-year-olds and six-year-olds. You want to bet? Um, the parental controls are password protected. If you don't okay. give them the password, you're safe. Yeah, so. okay. So that's the key. So, yeah. So they, there are dumb phones, only 50 bucks that, that call only, if you, if you really want to be certain. But um, I'm happy with the hand-me-down idea and just putting all the parental controls on and keeping an eye on your kids. Okay. All right, we got to rush well, to this. Well, 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 oh. well, 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 what about dumb phones? If they want to buy a dumb phone, they're not handing yeah, one down. Because a lot of parents not handing one down. If you're That's like right. me, you're using your mobile phone to the death. Yeah, okay. Look, Australia Post have got $50 phones. So does, um, so does Telstra. What are they? You just go in where? You just go into Australia Post and say, I want a cheap phone. And make sure it's not a... A smartphone. That's right. They're dumb. 50 buck phones are dumb phones. So all you can do really is ring and make calls and receive and, calls and text. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Go on, mate. Alrighty. This question's are for you. Okay. Firstly, in Leviticus, the Bible says the Israelites should not eat pork. Is that still relevant today? Short right. answer. Right. Yes. 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 <laughs> don't eat pork. Yeah. Very bad I for agree. you. I agree. I agree. Full of disease. Even if you don't want to take notice of the Bible, take notice of science. Science says don't touch the stuff. The pig, one of the most diseased animals on the planet, yep. when it comes to what you eat, don't touch it, don't touch it. How's that for a short answer? I, I, I'm giving you advice. Forget about the theology. Yep. You can't say that really, but you know what I'm saying? I'm yeah, giving yeah, you it's advice. Good, it's good health don't advice. Don't touch yep. pig in any form. Shocking for your health. Does Alrighty. that make sense, Hunty? It does. Let me move on. Uh, next one is, please pray for my children who don't know Jesus. And that's from Annie. Well, that is a prayer we should pray. Can, Absolutely. Can you remind me when we do pray of at course, the end, we make course. sure we do yep. that? Yeah. Should Christians join the army and fight as combatants? Uh, again, short answer. Uh, the Bible says thou shalt not kill. I would probably advise young people joining the army or the Navy or the Air Force, if you want to go that way, if you're career and you want to have a born-again relationship with Jesus, get into an area of the army that's non-combatant. Mm-hmm. My dad was mm-hmm. a non-combatant, mm-hmm. auntie, in Mine the too. army. Mine too. Yeah, so you can do it. Twice my dad's been in the army. He was with the Australian army, then he went to the American army. Both times he was a non-combatant. So, look, it is a very personal thing, that, but I would suggest if, if you must join the armed forces, that would be the better way. I mean, imagine if you went to fight, say, uh, um, one of the what we see as the enemy nations and there's another Christian across the paddock from you and you shoot another Christian dead. Well, you don't mm. want to shoot. That really shouldn't matter either. You just don't want to shoot anybody dead, do mm, you? True. Um, True, but but that a is a complicated question, question <laughs> yeah. uh, Auntie. Yeah, we need yeah. to be careful of that one. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, next. Why do Adventists say we don't go to heaven after you die? Oh, because that's what the Bible says. Yeah. Very clearly. Totally. Bible says um, that, and, and I'm just thinking off my head, there's a, there's a number of places where the Bible just says um, the dead know nothing. Ecclesiastes, go and have a look at Ecclesiastes. If we had more time, chapter 9, verse 5, 6 and 10, the dead know nothing. Mm. That's why. Mm. Jesus will come. There will be resurrection. But it's when you die, you sleep until that second coming and until that resurrection. And more and more Christians are discovering that truth in the Bible. No doubt about that. We'll, we'll, we'll study about that one in the not too distant future, Hunty. Alrighty. And the last question we'll ask for today is, uh, LGBTIQ people welcome in SDA churches to worship. You'd be stunned how many times I'm asked that. Are LGBT people welcome in our church? I mean, 
The very short answer is yes, 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 yes. I, I've met quite a few LGBT people through the years. Um, some who have attended my church and they've asked me that. And I've said, look, I'm telling you, you are welcome to come and worship in our church. The doors are open. Doesn't necessarily mean I agree with that behavior, but anybody, anybody is welcome in an Adventist church to work, uh, to worship. How's that, Hunty? That's it. I reckon. Okay. Well, Will we have a song and then get yes, into the Bible song? I reckon. Is it a short song? It's a short song. It's only just over two minutes. Alan Jackson, Oh How I Love Jesus. There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its word that sounds like music in my ear. The sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, because He first loved me. It tells me of a Savior's love, who died to set me free. It tells me of His precious blood, the sinner's perfect plea. short song was man we've had havoc in the studio today <laughs> it's been fun we've had <laughs> others making the noise right. you've had the pastor lloyd making the noise it's just <laughs> been one of those days where there's been a lot of action in this studio listen right? but that's the joy of doing live radio which is actually a bit more challenging than live television hunting is it oh, it is for me Oh, dear. Because when I'm doing live television, which we do, I mean, we're going to do a live program tomorrow. Tomorrow, yep. But when we do live television, it's pretty much you in the... You're out of the room. Yes. Safe in the control room. Yes, (laughs) and it's just me in the studio by myself. Yep. So there's no one else walking in, making noise, talking over the top. Yep. Yeah, it's easy stuff. Bible study. All right. This will be a short one. Let me give you revision. But before I do, I'm going to pray. Yes. Even though it's a short Bible study, it's important. Very important. Lord... Be with us as we study your word now. And may, be, may people be touched as they listen to this story in your name. Amen. The story, hunty. Quick revision. Yep. Lucifer, Satan, God are in heaven. 
Lucifer decides, you remember what he wants to do? Yep. Sit on the throne of God, be like God, be next to God, rule yep. with God. Yep. Not going to happen. War in heaven. He takes, can you remember how many yeah, angels yeah. he takes? A third. Can you believe it? No. Crazy. A third of those angels, superintelligences, go with Lucifer. So then they are cast out. They end up on the earth. We're not sure how that happens. It seems to me that every world gets a test. That God's made and they end up on the earth Adam and Eve in the garden simple test tree don't eat of that Eve eats of the tree gives it to her husband he eats they end up having joined Lucifer's rebellion because they turned against God and trusting him it was such a simple thing God said don't do it it's a test you can eat any tree in the garden they ate we lost and we've been in sin ever since but the moment that Adam and Eve sinned Jesus did something. It is stunning. Read verse 8, honey. Hunty? Then honey. Not <laughs> honey. Definitely not honey. Another mistake today. I'm in the, not N-O- honey. I'm in the NIV version. You're, you're hunty. N-O-L-T, actually. Yeah, N-L-T. Okay. That's where I want you. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord. I like this, hunty. Among the trees of the garden. I like this. Mm. I like this. The moment they sin, God comes looking for them. Yep. At the moment you fall, I, I sometimes I feel like Hunty. You know when 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 Paul said Paul the apostle says I'm the chief of sinners. Do you ever feel like that? Oh, that's me. The chief of sinners, the I worst of the worst. And when I sin, what I want to do is instantly I want to run away from God. I yep. I, I can't be in His presence. Yep. But God's not like that with us, and He wasn't like that with Adam and Eve. They sin. The Bible says after they sinned, after they ate the fruit, they are both naked, so that they were clothed in light. That disappears. They are naked, they are ashamed, and God comes looking for them. Yep. Just because you've sinned, just because you're down, just because you're far from Him, doesn't mean God won't come for you. He will come walking for you, Auntie. You get that? Yep. What, looking for you, not walking for you, looking, looking. for you. Yep. What happened then? Verse 9. But the Lord God called... To the man, where are you? <laughs> I like that. Where are you, man? Now, did God know they'd sinned? Of course. Of course. But he still came looking for them yep. to go for a walk. That's. Can you imagine that? Every day as the sun goes down, God comes and you go for a walk. Wow. So he comes for this regular yep. walk. Adam and Eve are hiding. And God says, hey, Adam, where are he's seeking them out. Get it? Mm. Okay, yep. go on. Where are you, said God? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Keep going. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Yeah, keep going. The man said, the woman <laughs> you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Love it, love it, love it. Pass that blame. This is Lloyd to a... <laughs> this, is, this is guys this is everywhere. This pass it to a maximum. <laughs> when I get caught sinning, immediately I'm looking around for someone to blame. Of course, of course. And it comes naturally. Yep. And what God wants Adam to do is take accountability yep. for his fall. But he's not going to do it. Nope. So watch God. He goes for the journey. Yep. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. Ah. So Adam blames Eve. Eve. Eve now blames the serpent. serpent. There's no accountability here. That's right. Everybody's dodging the bullet. We're naked. We're ashamed that it's not our fault. Adam says it's Eve's fault. Eve says, well, not my fault. It's the serpent's fault. That's it. Really what God's doing here, and it's very important, though, he is, he is, and he's very clearly going to the point of the sin. Yep. He's going to 
the one who is responsible. Yep. Yes, Adam and Eve participated in the sin, but there is one who is responsible, and that's a serpent. Correct. And in the Bible, a serpent is symbolic for Satan, Satan Lucifer. Yep. And what God says here is one of the most important, if not hunty, the most important Bible text in all the Scripture, 14 and 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between the woman, uh, sorry, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike at his heel. Wow. That is a prophecy and I'm going to spend next week opening that prophecy up, Hunty. It is one of the most amazing prophecies in the Bible. I don't want to open it up now because it deserves an entire Bible study. But I do want to say this. Right here, Jesus is saying, I'm coming to rescue you. That's what that prophecy is. I'm coming to rescue you. And here is the challenge for you, our listeners. I want you to go out, back, open your Bibles, Genesis chapter 3. I want you to read this story again. And I want to, I just want to see whether you can work out what this prophecy is talking about because we're going to look at it next week. It is stunning. God only knows how I cry. Heartbroken and my hands are tied. But he's been faithful. Peace. Intro.
Father. When Adam and Eve sinned, it was a time of great distress. Never was there a time where we as a human race needed to trust you more. And you sent a rescuer. It's in this prophecy. And Lord, as we spend some more time in the next few weeks in this prophecy, may we be deeply convicted that that rescuer didn't just come from for Adam and Eve, but he came for us too, for us who are sinners, who have fallen and need you. Thank you, Jesus, I pray. Thank you in your name. Amen. Well, Hunty, it's been a day of uh, chaos, <laughs> but we've got through this live radio program. We, and we, we praise God we do. for that. Amen. So I'm going to sign off. My name is Lloyd Groleman. I'm the Aussie pastor, and I love you. But God, he just loves you so much more. See you next week. Thanks for joining the Aussie Pastor. If you enjoyed today's program and would like to find out more about Jesus, our ministry, or ways to support us, go to findjesus.tv. 